Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 30th, 2010. For newcomers to the show, you should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com where you'll find hundreds of talks I've given over years where I try to give you the big picture of reality on how it's created and who creates it and how you adopt into a system that was planned long before you were born with stages for the generations to grow up in thinking everything obviously must be quite normal because no one's told them otherwise. The only thing that we're taught to or we actually do by nature is to become afraid when something's changing very quickly and it affects you personally, basically. That's what really folk are aware of, not really why they're in the situation they're in, why countries are in the situations they are economically or anything else. They take the mainstream media's point of view. So look into my website and help yourself to the audios, and you'll find I help to explain a lot of the social experimentation that's been going on and the implementation of these experiments on a worldwide scale, country by country. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so look into the site, buy the books I have for sale, uh, buy the discs I have for sale, donate to me. You can find out how to purchase and donate at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. They all carry transcripts, remember, in English as well. Of a lot of the talks I've given for prints up, and if you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, and help yourself to the variety offered there. To order the books and so on from the U.S., remember, you can use a personal check, and you can use an international postal money order from the post office. Some people send cash. You can use PayPal to order. Just put the appropriate donation through PayPal and send a separate email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it right out to you. And it's the same across the rest of the world. You've got Western Union for direct wire transfer. You can do the same with MoneyGram. MoneyGram also offers uh, a check which you can post, which is for cheaper. Some people send cash and PayPal again to order or donate, to send the appropriate donation and an email with your address and, and the order on it. And remember, too, simple, straightforward donations would be appreciated as well because there's a lot of data getting put out there and has been over the years for you to help yourselves too and only a few people tend to repeat donations or donate at all but we're living through great transitions as they called it a hundred odd years ago that were planned for the world to bring us into really a system which was, had been discussed about in the 1800s by Karl Marx and others before him with trading blocks and eventually a, a unified world government running the whole show. That's monetarily, that's all your economics, that's your World Health Organization, it's everything that you hear today and take for granted. These are really private institutions. Uh, government itself is a private institution. It's only an idea, you know. Government is someone's idea. 
and you must uh, acquiesce all your freedoms to go along with government. And people don't realize that too. They think it's some sort of concrete fortress built on a, on a hilltop somewhere. They don't realize, no, government really is an idea. And it's always the old story too. You get peace and safety and security if you just donate to the to the, the king and queen in the castle up there, and they'll take care of everything for you. The same tricks are pulled today over and over again. The problem is we don't have kings and queens and their families to pay anymore and keep it a lavish lifestyle. We have thousands and thousands, actually millions now, of bureaucrats worldwide. And it's so top-heavy, it's amazing we're not turning into the flat earth again with a weight on top. But that's what we've got. And uh, this is World Socialism. You're under scientific socialism. Back with more after this break. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, I've gone through so many books to show you how society was designed to be overthrown as it used to be at one time with its structure and its society and how it all worked together, the fabric of society. And you can go into the writings again of Marx who talked about overthrowing all established systems of government. That meant complete demolishing, completely demolishing all of the societal structures which held it all together and gave it some kind of natural law and order. And at one time, remember, you didn't need police uh, as you do today because everyone in a society, even right down to a small tribe, knew the basic rules. And you didn't need uh, a big uh, system to overlook you and start finding you for littering and all that kind of stuff. That came in much later. And, of course, now it's a cash cow as well for governments. They need all those tickets for for speeders and the road and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, this was echoed by Mazzini, of course, the world revolutionary, and by the the various communists that came afterwards in the Soviet system. The complete overthrowing of all existing systems. And that also meant um, uh, marriage, uh, all religions, uh, well, almost all but most religions, and definitely the Christian religion, because that held together the fabric of Europe especially, and uh, that had to go. And that has been accomplished pretty well. In fact, they've actually banned um, from the EU, they're putting out books now for children, school children, uh, for daily diaries, and it's got all the dates in it for the whole year, like a calendar, and there's not a single Christian holiday mentioned, including Christmas. Uh, everybody, everyone else's faith has got theirs mentioned. So that's how much it was hated by those who decided to overthrow a long time ago the system and bring in this brand new system using what they called science to replace uh, the, the fabric of society, the glue, which was an obstacle to them ever getting what they wanted as a, a, a conspiratorial group. And here we are today because they've, they've won, you see. And they won quite easily because the richest people on the planet uh, were involved in this big plan. And they hired a lot of fronts to do their talking for them. And they had their own organizations to do the the footwork. They had academia, of course, in their pocket because academia depends on grants, 
not just coming in from students. So they need grants coming in, and with the grants come recommendations, and then Mr. Rockefeller or whatever it happens to be at the top will say, I'd like you to take this guy in as a professor to teach blah, 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 and that's how you get your plants in all the universities across the world because I think every university in Canada and America and quite a few in Europe all get grants from just him alone, his, his outfit. Now, part of it too, and I've gone through Bertrand Russell quite a bit, but there's many other actors in this, this world stage to make this all happen. And uh, as I say, Professor Carol Quigley, uh, was, who taught many people to be diplomats for the U.S. government and who lectured uh, in the, di- the diplomatic schools for them, uh, also was part of this organization for the overthrow of all existing systems. And it's quite something. To, I used to wonder uh, what, about communism, even before I read Foundations, Their Power and Influence, uh, that showed you that communism was eventually to be brought in and merged with what we thought was capitalism, and the two systems would become a socialist, a world socialist system. Exactly what Lenin said. Uh, he said uh, this uh, dictatorship would last for about 70 years, and he said eventually the world will merge not quite capitalist, not quite communist. He meant this new scientifically run socialism would be the way to go, where the fittest of the fittest, the creme de la creme, on the Darwinian scale, would run the world, but would have the same money masters at the top who would keep their their natural instincts while they dumbed down the rest of us in the process to make us easier managed. But they also talked about degrading society by every level. And Bertrand Russell on, on uh, his book on marriage, in fact, goes through a lot of this stuff. But when, when you read their stuff, you'll find that he, he will say the exact same phrases as other actors on the stage at the same time. Uh, and they, they kept talking about they'd have to eliminate the concept of sin, you see. Because people, all tribes, in fact, every tribe, even so-called primitive tribes, have their basic religion. Even if it's pantheistic, it's basic religion. Again, all your rules of the tribe are based around it to make everything work harmoniously. And they, they have their taboos. And taboo is another word for sin, really. There's consequences to sin, in other words, in, in this life. And uh, the, the, the Russells of this, that age who helped to bring in this system and create the very system you're in right now, because he was involved in all the top planning for it, along with the Huxleys and so on, um, talked about this, uh, eradicating sin, overthrowing all of the, the, the fabric of society. And I used to say, why didn't they kick these guys out? Why did they even employ them in MI5, for instance, during World War II, since we're all basically preaching what seemed to be communism? And then Carl Quigley came along and he said, well, they, they work with them all, all the different groups. They don't mind who they work with, if it's, if it's a, a dictatorship or a communist system or whatever. He says, we work with them all. And he says, we're often mistaken for being communist because they're pushing the exact same system as communism, which was scientific socialism. But quite something, isn't it, that they can actually work in governmental departments. Uh, how can you let people work in governmental departments when they belong to agencies which are sworn to overthrow all existing governments, which tells you that they'd already put their top men in controlling their governments for an awful long time. Otherwise, they would be up for treason. 
And that's exactly what Quigley said in, in the Anglo-American establishment. The, there wasn't an American president. There was not a member of this group under different names as it transformed itself into different names. And only came out with the Council on Foreign Relations much later for America and the Royal Institute of International Affairs in Britain at the same time. Before that, even Winston Churchill knew of their existences, but they didn't know the names of the groups. That's how cagey they were. And yet they started wars, they funded wars, they promoted all politics towards war to get a desired goal, which was to bring the world to its utter knees with, 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 with disgust and contempt for war and nationhood and bring in a world-type government. And that's what they had to do. But they also had to destroy the fabric again of even the family unit, they said. And they would do that by eliminating all sin or taboos about sexual behavior whatsoever, mainly again for the lower classes. They all advocated eugenics. They all agreed there were too many of the common folk at the bottom and they would outbreed those at the top. They weren't careful, therefore they should be sterilized one way or another. And if you notice, as I've gone through the sterilization quotes and so on over the past few years, uh, that even the United Nations is, gives out with their annual reports uh, quite happily and gleefully when they tell you that most of the males are becoming sterile, which doesn't happen by itself. But as I say, they'd make a, they would give you frivolous entertainment, they said. Frivolous entertainment. Inane frivolous entertainment that would be harmless to those ruling you and would also help their agenda because you emulate, emulate what you see and hear in drama and movies, etc. And, but it's interesting how it was all getting pushed at the same time in every country, that they're champions in every country. The first director for the World Health Organization was Chisholm in Canada, and he also gave out the exact same quotes about destroying um, religion, and especially the concept of sin verbatim, just like you heard them coming out in a united front saying weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction like parrots, because they all were on board together, they are all taught together in the same groups. And they had to appear as a unified front. And it's interesting here that in the scientific outlook, Luke Russell says this. He says, I think, therefore, that there's hardly any limit to the departures from traditional sentiment which science may introduce into the question of reproduction. If a simultaneous regulation of quantity and quality is taken seriously in the future, we may expect that in each generation some 25% of women and some 5% of men will be selected to be the parents of the next generation, while the remainder of the population will be sterilized, which will in no way interfere with their sexual pleasures, which of course we're going to promote, but will merely render these pleasures destitute of social importance. You see, if you had left the old system, bonding was very important, and they wanted to separate the bonding act from the sexual act itself. And if once people are bonded together, men tend to fight for something. That had to be eradicated. It says the women who are selected for breeding will have to have eight or nine children each, but will not be expected to perform any other work except the suckling of the children for a suitable number of months. No obstacles will be placed upon their relations with sterile men or upon the relations of sterile men and women with each other. See, they're even pushing that as well. And um, But reproduction will be regarded as a matter which concerns the state 
and will not be left to the free choice of the persons concerned. Perhaps it will be found that artificial impregnation is more certain and less embarrassing, since it will obviate the need for any personal contact between the father and mother of the prospective child. It puts me in mind of Elton John and his husband, who just had a child recently, apparently, uh, with, I guess, mixing uh, genes from their sperm, and they had a donor mother who would carry it. Sentiments of personal affection may still be connected with intercourse not intended to be fruitful, while impregnation will be regarded in an entirely different manner, more in the light of a surgical operation, so that it will be thought not ladylike to have it performed in a natural manner. The qualities for which the parents will be chosen will differ greatly according to the status which is hoped the child will occupy. In the governing class, a considerable degree of intelligence will be demanded of parents. And the music's coming in, actually, and I'll, I'll read some more of this when I come back from this break. Folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading some Bertrand Russell here, a guy who helped with big world think tanks to help set up the, the system to manage us all in what we're going through today. They had it all planned too for bringing down economies, using the banks and so on, and bring in a, a world banking system. And we have, of course, the World Bank of the United Nations, which is really is comprised of the international money lenders, the ones who lend to nations at the moment. But he's going, he's going on about how the future will bring in gradually artificial insemination and so on. He says the care of infants intended to belong to the governing class would seldom be left to the mothers. Mothers would be selected by their eugenic qualities and these would not necessarily be the qualities required in a nurse. On the other hand, the early months of pregnancy might be more burdensome than at present since the fetus would be subjected to various kinds of scientific treatment intended to affect beneficially, not only its own characteristics, but those of its possible descendants. Fathers would, of course, have nothing to do with their own children. He actually says uh, in his other book about marriage that fatherhood would go down the drain altogether and fathers wouldn't be important at all. And we've all seen that happen, encouraged and promoted by the state, of course, who helped to fund the women to stay at home and give them perpetual welfare. He says there would be, in general, only one father to every five mothers, and it was quite likely that he would never have even seen the mothers of his children. That's artificial insemination now, you see. The sentiment of paternity would thus disappear completely. Probably in time the same thing would happen, though to a slightly less degree in regard to mothers. If birth were prematurely induced, and the child separated from its mother at birth, maternal sentiment would have little chance to develop. They've already done that, by the way, in chickens. Those chickens you eat from the fast food places, especially bread, and they've had their brains tampered with, so they have no maternal instinct. Among the workers, it's possible that less elaborate care would be taken, since it's easier to breed for muscle than to breed for brains, and it's not unlikely that women would be allowed to bring up their own children in the old-fashioned natural manner. There would not be among the workers the same need as among the governing a class for fanatical devotion to the state, and there would not be, therefore, on the part of the government, the same jealousy of the private affections. Among the governors, one must suppose all private sentiments would be viewed with suspicion. 
A man and woman who showed any ardent devotion to each other would be regarded as they are at present regarded by moralists when they are not married. They would be professional nurses and crutches and professional teachers in nursery schools, but they would be considered to be failing in their duty if they felt any uh, special affection uh, uh, for special children. If children who showed any special affection for particular adults would be separated from that adult. Ideas of this kind are already widespread. They would be found suggested, for example, in Dr. John B. Watson's book on education. And I read through that the other day as well. So it's amazing that everything we're living through is literally a part of an agenda, especially when they talk about giving us a frivolous culture, frivolous entertainment. In other words, keeping us perpetually in a Peter Pan syndrome, never wanting to grow old, and even the elderly today try and look young, and they go to great lengths to, try to and expense as well to make it so. Uh, this is it's a curious society where it's easier for the governors to rule over children of all ages, and that's where we are today. Now, I read an article before, too, from Scientific American, and it was to do with empathy. See, empathy, too. See, if you want to bring down a culture, you sit and study the culture. That's your enemy. What makes it work? What is the fabric of society? What are the taboos of the society? What is promoted within the society? And you must destroy all of that. You corrupt all of it. And then you bring in the new ones they are conquered. And the beauty of it is you can tempt them. It's all done through temptations. They actually tell you, don't worry about the consequences. Go ahead, just do it. That was a saying they used in the 70s and 80s. Don't worry about it, just do it. That was in ads and everything. Just do it. And of course you end up with massive welfare systems. You end up with drug uh, problems in children. And you end up with incredible problems with the children having sex with children, which is all promoted from the top again. Uh, right down again. Anyway, this article here says, Humans are unlikely to win uh, the Animal Kingdom's prize for the fastest, strongest, or largest. We are world champions at understanding one another. This interpersonal prowess is fueled, at least in part, by empathy, our tendency to care about and share other, uh, other people's emotional experiences. Empathy is a cornerstone of human behavior and has long been considered innate. You're born with it. And then they give you a premise here, which isn't true. This is a forthcoming study, however, challenges this assumption by demonstrating that empathy levels have been declining over the past 30 years. Well, you see, they've been declining, uh, not because uh, it was not an innate thing to have. It's because it's been trained out of the children by a scientific technique, starting even watching comedies, playing their games too, slaughtering people and so on. And um, and also by uh, the, the culture that is prevalent, even through the schooling and education, which is that your, what your parents know, they're obsolete. And they also said in other books too, Bernard Russell and others, that they created a hedonistic society. And I read that about a year ago, maybe two years ago, on the air from their own books. Hedonism and narcissism would ensure that they'd have no empathy for others or their misfortunes. To get back to the Scientific American study, it says research led by Sarah H. H. Conrad at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and published online in August in Personality and Social Psychology Review found that college students self-reportedly uh, reported that empathy has declined since 1980 with a steep drop in the past 10 years. 
Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, reading an article from Scientific American, which I think I read a long time ago, but I'm reading it again anyway, and um, it says, research led by Sarah H. Conrath of the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and published online in August in Personality and Social Psychology Review found that the college students' self-reported empathy has declined since 1980, with an especially steep drop in the past 10 years. To make matters worse, during the same period, students self-reported narcissism, exactly what I told you, had, re- had reached new heights, according to research by Jean M. Twinge, a psychologist at San Diego State University. But the new finding that empathy is on the decline indicates that even when a trait is hardwired, social context, that's the cultural indoctrination uh, that they're getting, of course, can exert a profound effect, changing even our most basic emotional response. And it is true, they, they knew this before they did it, of course, because they've done it before in previous times. Uh, just how easy we are to manipulate is just uh, absolutely astonishing. And when I take this and put it into this article here, I mentioned before that your censorship committees, each country has a censorship committee which pretends to um, safeguard what's left of your culture for you, you see, and the children and all that. And the real function, like everything else in this world, it's all double-speak. And um, the really fronts, of course, their, their idea is to keep the, the pulse of the public and find out when to push the envelope to the next step. And I've read articles, too, about that. And I mentioned that they'd mentioned uh, in the newspapers in 2001, a month before, I think, um, 2-11 happens, uh, 9-11 happens, that uh, the international census meeting, where they all went over to a meeting somewhere, probably under the United Nations auspices, they said that now that they'd won the battle for homosexuality, they'd put more on television, get everyone used to it, mainly through comedies, and then they said they'd push for bestiality and uh, and not pedophilia, they call it intergenerational sex. It sounds much better, doesn't it, than buggering little children. So anyway, uh, here's an article here. It says, Mucky pups outrage over racy images of scantily clad women in bizarre poses with dogs for a charity calendar. Now, this comes from one of the most uh, incredible uh, rags in Britain. It's the Mail Online, which is, you can't get more more cheesy and down than that. But anyway, um, even reading this is almost promoting it, and that's why I'm sure it's in the paper. But it's, it's, a, it's a late entry for most bizarre and the most, uh, certainly the most distasteful calendar for 2011. A number of scantily clad women pose in colourful, if flesh-bearing shots taken with a range of dogs for photographs that have upset animal lovers and vets alike with the suggestion of bestiality. I wonder if it upsets basic people or we're so jaded today. For the month of March, a model is even shown uh, with a suckling puppy at her naked breast but the producers of the calendar have defiantly refused to apologize. Well, they're a charity. Charities run the world, these NGOs and charities, you know. 
and soon you'll be donating your money in every transaction so much to the charities like this one here so we can put more filth out next year. And it says, the 2011 Puppy Love Calendar is after all for a good cause. Intend to raise money for an animal rescue charity in Wicklow in Ireland. So that's the kind of stuff that they're putting out for you. And I'm not surprised by it at all because I know their agenda and I've lived through a lot of their agenda. I mean, I can remember uh, when the whole pop scene came on, on the go and in the, the rock scene, the miniskirt came out at the same time as the pill and everyone was just to, told to go to it by the BBC, which was actually staffed and run by people from Eton. That was his policy. So here's the upper crust telling you all to go and do it. I wonder why. And Jack Zatali, of course, who talks about um, uh, a brief history of the, of the future, this guy who's up at the United Nations, a big player in these think tanks as well, in the chapter called The End of the American Empire, he says, uh, the ninth uh, form will also go on creating the conditions for increasing solidar- solitary urban living in smaller and uh, smaller apartments with increasingly uh, fleeting sexual or romantic partners, fear of being uh, tied, uh, flight from lasting attachments and obvious indifference will become and which are already becoming forms of seduction. Apologia for the individual, the body and independence. Individualism will make absolute values of the ego as back to narcissistic behavior again. The self. Eroticism will become an openly sought field of knowledge. Apart from incest, pedophilia and sodomy, the, the most diverse forms of sexuality will be increasingly tolerated. Nomadic ubiquity and virtual communities will create new opportunities for encounters, paid or not, he says there. And um, it's quite something. He talks about how even um, the market here, uh, it says in another chapter, A Brief History of Capitalism, he says, in the 20 years from 1945 to 65, and thanks to the electric motor, New York becomes the world's greatest metropolis. The price of household equipment falls fivefold, while production increases by a factor of 10. New consumer appliances intensify the evolution of the market economy in the direction of nomadism. Now, that's a term he says here is for individual freedom, this little nomadic uh, term they use. And 47 military battery and transistor radio, two key inventions, made radio and record players portable. This is a major revolution for it allows the young to dance outside the ballrooms and therefore be free of parental supervision. Liberating sexuality, opening them to all kinds of music from jazz to rock, and thus announcing youth entry into the world of consumption, of desire, and of rebellion, because they were going to foster rebellion, which they did, by the way. They even told them what to rebel about. Lessons for the future. The link between technology and sexuality underpins the whole dynamic of the mercantile order. Quite interesting little piece to say there. But um, that's what these guys are into. We're living through a script, you understand, and they're getting what they want because at the moment no one cares. Everyone's adapted into the new systems without even knowing it was happening. And they do watch their trivia. They do watch what's called popular entertainment, as Aldous Huxley called it, stuff that he disgusted him, but he said it's for the, the general masses. And they emulate what they see in this popular entertainment. And Atali goes on in another chapter, the first wave of the future, and he says, they will, be thus, they will thus invent the best and worst of a volatile, carefree, egotistical, and insecure planetary society. Arbiters of elegance, masters of wealth, and the media 
They will acknowledge no allegiance, whether national or political or cultural. That's where you are today. They were increasingly dressed like nomads, that's the individuals, their garb recalling their adventures, their prosthesis, and their networks. Well, you've been through the, the various styles that the young are taught to wear, mainly by uh, television shows and dramas that they follow. They will be patrons of multiform arts who will mingle forms of virtual art in which emotions are aroused, measured, captured, and modified by the self-monitors. They will live in private cities, behind walls, guarded by mercenaries. They will cause the price of artworks and real estate to soar. The couple will no longer be their principal base for life and sexuality. They will prefer to choose in in uh, full transparency, polygamous or polyandrous loves. Men and women, all collectors, more interested in the hunt than the prey, accumulating and exhibiting their trophies, constantly on the move in search of distraction. Many of them will be the offspring of mobile families without a geographic or cultural base. They will be loyal only to themselves and will interest themselves more in their conquests, their wine cellars, their self-monitors, their art collections and the planning of their erotic lives than the future of their progeny to whom they will no longer bequeath either money or power. So that's for another class, of course, because the middle class is to be eradicated. But anyway, and it's almost done, actually, and the government's certainly helping it with massive taxation. Uh, interesting that this, uh, Karl Marx did the same thing. Increasing taxation would put paid to the rest of it, and that's where we are today with everything. So, as I say, we're living through an incredible script. Most folk haven't a clue. And they are doing exactly as these guys wanted you to do, uh, and you can't bond anymore, and so you're helpless. And that makes government more powerful because, you see, they have many institutions that get set up which take care of the fallout and the chaos that's caused by all of this. You know, in the U.S. and other other places, even in Britain now, there are so many gangs, so many gangs, uh, mainly guys raised... Um, and areas, a lot of ethnic gangs too in Britain all fighting each other over drug turf, but um, raised by single mums, often with many brothers and, and multiple fathers. So uh, this is a new normal that these guys knew they would bring in, and they also knew it would be a period of chaos. Here's an article here to show how crazy it is now. They're now teaching gang members first aid for, uh, for stab wounds in Britain, and the taxpayers are funding it. Medical students uh, show young offenders in Waverley, Wavertree, Liverpool how to give basic medical assistance. Teaching young violent criminals the first aid techniques that could save the lives of fellow gang members might seem a dangerous move, but a new project doing exactly that is gaining the attention of youth offending teams across the country. The brainchild of a group of medical students at Liverpool University, the course specialises in teaching teenagers already involved in knife and gun crime the skills to give pre-hospital care immediately after a penetrating injury. The basic two-week course is now a core part of Liverpool's Young Offenders Team's restorative justice programme. Youth offending experts in Nottingham and medics in London have also expressed interest. So there you go. As seen in Canada too, of course, even for the last few years, in school they've been showing young children in school how to safely inject heroin. This is the culture that very intelligent people belonging to one organization and often with circles of many, they call them circles as they inter interconnect with each other, planned for you all. You're living through it. And they're not finished with you yet, of course. 
But you see, there's very little opposition today because people have nothing to stand up for. The most you get them to stand up for is if their cable television went up or, or the increasing internet fees or something like that went up. Then they'd be rather ticked off because that hits them right in the pocket, personally. And that's all they care about now is their personal selves. And that means less opposition to all the rest of the plans that are already underway uh, to deal with you and I and everybody else. Quite nice, isn't it? I'm also putting up a link tonight from the Council on Foreign Relations, again to do with taking more power away from the United States and giving it to the World Security Council. And it's quite interesting. It'll read, of course, if you can really understand what they're saying, because it's to be the end of nationhood. And it really was the end of nationhood when everyone signed on the League of Nations, and that's in Carl Quigley's book too, um, The Anglo-American Establishment. Everyone who signed on, every nation who signed on, every president, prime minister who signed on the United Nations after World War II was giving away the sovereignty of their nation. Last night I mentioned as well, briefly, that philanthropy plan, donate to charity every time you pay by bank card. Well, eventually all you'll have, you see, is bank card. And they've already worked out that as they take more money away from all the the government agencies that take care of, again, the welfare mums and all the rest of it and the, and the chaos that's been produced, you'll end up being looked after by charities, but you will pay for it. And that money that they save from the welfare won't be uh, going back to you. From, keep so that there's more money in your pocket. It'll go to other big governmental ideas as we distribute the wealth of the world. They call it distribution of the wealth across the rest of the planet. Which, of course, doesn't go to the people in Africa or India. It goes to the big industrial factory owners. The international corporations are already set up, but it'll also set up a massive bureaucracy to further integrate total world integration into this new scientific-run society. We're going through the chaos right now, just, just the chaos, mind you, as society is transformed. And people haven't noticed it yet because they haven't been whacked yet with the massive debt. They've been told they've got to pay off. They're going to eventually have very little to live on down the road. But the moment is still have fun, time, play, and have lots of sex. There's no, there's no consequences to anything anymore. That's what you're told. As I, say, I said at the start of the show, people hundreds of years ago talked about destroying and overthrowing all existing forms of government. And they studied the societies. And just like any military campaign, you study it to to, to find out its weak points. How can you break it apart? How can you destroy the fabric that holds it together? And they went to it because, as I say, they were backed by the richest people on the planet. Now, there's callers on the line. There's Carlo from Atlanta. Are you there, Carlo? Hello? Yes. Hello, Mr. Wood. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I don't I don't have a question. I rather have a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hear a lot of uh, callers talk about the, the process of awakening, and um, I just want to comment on that. Um, as I'm going through it right now, um, I've been awake for about two years, and... Uh, I didn't really have anyone to talk to, and over the last six months, 
a coworker and I started talking, and we realized that we're on the same level of awareness. Mm-hmm. And um, then conversations started to happen, exchange of information and opinions. And through that, both of our lives um, have improved quite a bit because we both changed in positive ways. And um, we both listen to your radio show, and um, it's, it's, there's something to be said about the calm, collective way that you present the information to us. Um, so thank you for that. Um, apart from that, with my coworker, it's, it's very interesting to see how um, panicked I was before, you know, wandering around, didn't know what to do, where to turn to, mm-hmm. um, then start listening to you, and through that, uh, start talking to my coworker. And yeah. both of us... Um, finding a positive uh, mindset in these horrendous times we are in. So um, mm-hmm. that is all. I just want to share my personal story with you. Thank you very much for what you're doing, and I'm going to hang up now and listen to your radio show. Thank thanks you. for calling. But, yeah, that's, the, that's true, too. Most folk, if they do, a lot of folk do panic because they realize suddenly everything even that which they've learned is the new normal which they've adapted into in their life is changing into another new normal and uh, they know something's all wrong with it and it can cause a panic initially until you start getting the data as to why and understanding can literally allay a lot of that panic and the fears that come with it in fact it makes you more powerful in many other ways and, um, and you realize wait a minute this has been going on for an awful long time generation after generation being knocked down and people emulating and, and mimicking what they see and do as, as cultures are, are reduced down to the basic, basic level um, so that a, a minority, a tiny minority at the top can rule over everybody in a non-democratic fashion. Back with more after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and there's uh, Jane from Ontario is on the line. You there, Jane? Hello, Jane. Hi. Um, yes. Yeah, you were talking about empathy, and I remembered um, I had heard something about fathers being important in um, children developing empathy, and I was just looking it up, you know, trying to look look it up there on the internet, and um, it, it wasn't until page six, like of the the Google search, I found it. Um, Someone just mentioned long-term studies have confirmed that a child's involvement, sorry, a father's involvement with their children's lives mm-hmm. has a significant impact on the child's development of empathy. Yeah, And, that's um, right. like, she doesn't give a reference for it, but I, I have heard of it before. Um, mm. And that's why Russell said uh, eventually a father would become less and less important. Yeah. Uh, they had to do that, yeah. Mm. Oh, and I, I was just going to mention about um, the thing about something shameful and unladylike about giving birth. I was thinking how uh, that attitude has already um, happened with breastfeeding, like not completely, and it sort mm-hmm. of com- like kind of goes out of style, right. comes You're back right. in style. But yeah. Um, yeah. I knew someone, though, in the 70s. <clears throat> she was in a hospital in northern Ontario, and a nurse, like she was um, a maternity patient. She was uh, nursing her newborn baby, and 
a nurse called her a pig. <laughs> yes, and also too, you had the whole Hollywood scene um, and magazines and so on, what the gossip stuff, and they were not breastfeeding because the, the, their breasts would fall and all the rest of it, so it was bad for their figure. So once again, appeal to the ego and, and the narcissism within everyone. And of course, we, know, we now know too that the big manufacturers of their replacement foods for babies were putting in all kinds of poisons into it, which dumbed them down and did terrible damage to them as well. I've done the articles on that as well. This is all engineered this way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and... Um I saw an article um, about a judge in Mississippi who said that he would release two sisters who were in prison for armed robbery on condition that one would donate a kidney to the other who had oh, suffered yeah. kidney failure. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I just thought, um, like, that's kind of a special case, but it could set a precedent for... You know, well, we're already there. Judges, judges can actually, and there's been a few cases where they've actually mandated that a, a, someone who is convicted or even charged does take drugs of one kind or another. And now, since when is he a doctor or a psychiatrist? But it's crossing over the lines, you see, into the drug society for for passive behaviour. And and we already have a degraded society that go to see. Um, Corpses are plasticized, hanging from wires and riding skateboards and sitting at a bar and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're already degraded and we don't really care. Again, that's, that's the, the, everyone's divided from everyone else and that's when you're conquered, that you're actually conquered when that happens. You have no empathy or care uh, and you're conquered when that's at that stage. Yeah. 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 But th- thanks for calling in. Okay. Thanks. And, and we'll try Tom from Wisconsin, if we can fit him in there. Is Tom there? Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Can you hear me very well? Yes, I can. Yeah. That's excellent. I just want to thank you for everything you do, as I do every time I call. And um, there's so much that I could say right now, but what I really want to communicate to people that are listening is that we are, we are really running short on time. Um, and I can, I can just feel it from everything that I'm reading, everything that I'm seeing, and, and what I get from people as I bring up these issues of, of the new world order, of the coming collapse of society. And, and there are multiple ways that it could go based upon what the controllers want. But the bottom line is we have to decide where our battle lines are going to be drawn. We have to get to the place where we're going to say, well, you come across this line and it's going to be a battle to the death. And most likely those that are the initial ones to draw those battle lines and engage the enemy, that is, uh, the thugs that will come for those that do not want to be a part of the system, mm-hmm. um, they're going to die. But yeah. in the end, we have to be an example for other people. Well, you see, we're going to have principles and get them back very fast and share the same principles and commonalities. That's what gives you strength and gets the fabric back into society. There's no other way to do it. But from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.